funny thing is, is that they like, they spent the whole primary trying to anoint Kamala and just failed miserably. Like that was the whole, that was pretty much their central goal for like the whole primary, failed miserably. And then they gave a couple of other people a try out along the way. Like, what about this guy, Pete? And just like everything, when she, everything just like completely fails. When she flamed out in Iowa, shouldn't that have been a like a bit of a? No, she yeah. didn't make it to Iowa. She didn't even she quit before Iowa. She was this whole six-month like media push of like this is the this is the future. This oh, she future mismanaged the, the campaign party. so bad it fell apart before it even launched, right? Well, stories about her her treatment of employees and staff like circulated then but like this week they're recirculating like now in the white house and everyone's dropping um her office yeah like there's like mass like resignations because of how she treats people and there's all these stories stories about how she's like deeply critical and like to the point of like crossing boundaries and how she criticizes people blaming them for her uh, inadequate preparation, uh, despite not reading briefing materials, blaming them for her not being sufficiently prepared. Uh, really, really bad boss type stuff. Um, and it's, it speaks to her personality, her behavior. And it's like, it's not just her, like that's common in politics on both sides of the aisle. It's just like when you get those people who are, uh, you know, narcissists who just want like power, prestige, attention, fame, whatever, you see those patterns all the time. Um, that's now re-emerging but it's like it's so interesting that it's emerging at a time when people were like well kamala and pete who's it going to be in 2024 uh now all of a sudden all these hit pieces about her come out so you know we've we've seen how pete's campaign has operated in the past and his team has operated in the past i wouldn't be surprised if they're planning a lot of these stories oh totally he's ruthless in this kind of um oh absolutely uh, I mean, look at look at look at look at liz smith his like comms person who did a lot of the same stuff now we're seeing this week she was saying uh, when advising Cuomo's team uh, in the aftermath of all the allegations coming out against him, can we just fire all women and like discrediting uh, uh, the survivors and like even attacking uh, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford during the Kavanaugh stuff? Like, it's just like really who gave like, a really like heart wrenching testimony, like really credible and yeah, she had no incentive to yeah, do that no, because she yeah. knew it was going to open up uh, her to attacks. Right. And like, and Liz Smith, she like she's unhinged. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's bizarre. I do want to see though if Pete does leapfrog Kamala for that position, how the K Hive reacts. Ooh. There's gonna be a crazy like <laughs> online civil war of the Ronin. The K Hive Ronin are gonna be out in force. Do you remember going... the Do you remember the uh, conflict between him and um, Klobuchar? Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, yeah. His his staffers were. I know this from other reporters. Were leaking those. Were planning those stories about Klobuchar like crazy, left and right. See, it's the same playbook. Totally. Bad boss. Same thing with with Klobuchar. Same thing with Kamala. Yeah. This is absolutely coming from Pete's game. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. No, but I just find it. I just find it really hilarious. Like with both of them, like they spend the whole primary trying to anoint them. It doesn't work. They're like, okay, well, give give her VP anyway. Like regardless of the fact that she has no real she didn't even uh, run. base. Yeah, yeah. Um, make her VP anyway. It's not going well. Everything's very unpopular. The whole administration is kind of sinking. And like, you know what? Let's just run her, run her for president next time, anyways. Yeah, let's do it. Surely, the, now at this point, this will work this time. What's, so can you guys think of fine. a single statement she's ever made? Like that thing Jordan said about how she wouldn't read her prep makes so much sense because I can't even if like I'm not saying good statements, but like usually with each candidate you can think of something they've like with pete you can think of his dumb you know like we have to have the courage of our convictions to stand forward for america you know the kind of corny stuff yeah or like the pete yeah. dance with her all i can think of is the nervous laugh i don't think i, I can't remember no, calling she's ever biden said. racist <laughs> yeah that's right Call- biden racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. or saying do not come to immigrants. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's the main thing that pops into my head now <laughs> totally. that's awesome <laughs> I just so I'm not that kidding. was actually cool when she called Biden racist too and then she ended up backing down because she wanted <laughs> to like, oh it position. was a it was a primary it was yeah, a prime that, that I was, was just making like, it up okay. okay all right yeah things that things get that sad. little girl that little, little girl, girl was me. me yeah that little girl who wanted to grow up to do and say anything they could to get close to a position of power that was hey shut that yapping dog up Ken we're recording Shh. yeah no I was saying before too though it's just like it's it will be interesting in the next couple of the next election cycle in the uh, U.S. because now there's just not even an option of anything possibly good happening. So you can just kind of like let that go up front and then just kind of more just absorb the chaos and the and the ridiculousness of it without having this yeah, feeling this of like not... maybe something good will happen. You just accept that nothing good will happen 
Everyone understands this. Everyone knows this, and you can just kind of proceed from there. Yeah, it won't be like no one's going to get their hearts broken. It's not like twenty twenty where there's possibility and and thing and no, not even just Bernie, but like possibility in terms of it being unclear who's going to win. Like you know, the Democrats might actually win this thing. I don't think when you talk to Democrats, they all seem resigned that they're going to lose in like in in Congress. You know, the staffers are. If only there was something we could have done because the staff like pass the agenda (laughs) that we campaigned on, but because the staffers have to decide their employment and that depends you know so they'll kind of chat sometimes about what they think is going to happen and be like we're not going to win and i've heard like so many people say that and usually yeah, they're kind there's of like, like you've noticed that too jordan tons of murmuring among people that i know who work <laughs> on the hill who are like yep uh we're all just kind of making plans for 2022 yep. to yep. do other things yep. like totally <laughs> Jesus God, totally and it's like <laughs> wait you guys are supposed to be the ones that america's last hope yeah the, the guys that drank the kool-aid and they're just like yeah we're fucked <laughs> you know yeah they're like yeah we're we budgeted through 2022 and then i think i'm gonna go do x y and z yeah, I've heard that great so many awesome times. sounds good <laughs> cool guys amazing <laughs> you gotta love it it's like the classic democratic party that everyone everyone loves mm-hmm. just racking up the w's uh, I'm just going to become the doom guy. Just send me straight to hell. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to stay there, though. Like, I'm not coming back. Yeah. I'm not, like, fighting my way back out. I'm not, Just send me there. I'm good. I'll just hang out there for a while. You guys don't <laughs> it will doom. probably be better. It will be, probably be a better situation than anything that else is going to be going on in Washington, D.C. for the next uh, couple of days. Right. This, I, inspired nice by our conversation. Yeah. Inspired by our conversation last night with uh, Hegelbon, uh, I went back and started playing some of the Doom DLC, and it rocks and it's, it was a nice reminder that uh there are there might be greener pastures out there i'll take a a, a scorched earth <laughs> hellscape please oh boy well uh we're here with ken klippenstein everyone ken has come back to the pod once again hey guys good how's to it going ken it's going all right good uh the band's still in place this is just a temporary exemption um it's yeah it's like when the biden administration says that they're going to uh you know, suspend weapons and make uh, Saudi Arabia pariah. It's that kind of a, that kind of a yeah. <laughs> That's the level of seriousness that we approach this. It's all just to placate the listeners who just can't stand it. But <laughs> really, there's no there's no real teeth behind these threats. What you obviously. got? You have to have a representative. It's like how uh, Biden uh, said he refuses to meet with MBS, but he just meets with his dad, the king, instead. And yeah, and, of course, you showed him. Yeah. So you get. <laughs> I, I just have to have a cutout come on the show to represent me yeah well this is a strategic uh allyship and I'm, while we don't condone <laughs> yeah. condone uh, all of ken's behavior yeah uh this there the alliance with ken online is strategic in nature and part of our larger uh geo internet goals oh yeah, yeah you gotta seen... keep that content flowing um but okay i might be bad but I've got this thing called Vision 2070, and things are going to change like you wouldn't believe. It's going to be. I'm planning to start being good anytime, any year. In the next 50 years, you're not going to believe what, like, you know, however long. All kinds of reforms have been planned. Exactly how long hydrocarbons will last. That's how long it's going to take me to get better. (laughs) No more japes. No more trolling. No. No more stunts. No. No more chicanery. Mm -hmm. No more hijinks. Definitely no tomfoolery. Hijinks are up there for me too. So that's that's something. (laughs) Yeah. What's what's on tap for Ken twenty uh what year is it? Twenty twenty two. This is a year in review. Yeah, we're doing, what are you a doing year next in year? review. This is gonna come in a couple weeks. So this is gonna be like right close to around the holiday season, New Year's. Well I got some important decisions to make um that I've been working on stories about. Uh, one is the NDAA, the big defense bill. Uh probably the biggest one the Democrats are gonna be able to pass because they'll you know likely lose their majority next year and looking at what's contained within it i mentioned saudi arabia a few minutes ago they're going to have to decide whether or not they're going to um stop uh the state department's authorization of over 500 million in um arms sales to saudi arabia and the context of all this being that uh saudi arabia has decreased the production of oil which increases the uh cost of basically everything because oil figures into you know not just gasoline at the pump but things you buy because that determines the cost of shipping um, over sea and via land. And so this, uh, you know, when you talk to people that often maybe don't care so much about Saudi Arabia's human rights record, they'll suddenly say, oh, you know, this is a good opportunity to impose a cost on Saudi Arabia just to narrowly get them to, um, you know, treat the Democrats more favorably with respect to their um, oil prices. Because under the Trump administration, it's very interesting. Trump was able to manage them very well. I was talking to a former Saudi official who described 
described to me how masterful Trump was compared to um, Biden in terms of being able to um, manipulate Saudi policy. So if you go back to 2020 and um, 2019, on two separate occasions, uh, Trump said, uh, told, told them either to increase or change production quotas, and they um, adhered to those requests in both cases. Now, Biden is asking for the same thing, and he hasn't gotten anything. In fact, it's gotten worse. The, the the production is lower than it's ever been, which again drives up the prices, which is a you know big, if not the main reason for why you're seeing um, not just gas prices, but the inflation rates that we have right now, because again, oil factors and everything. So you've got all of that in the back as a sort of backdrop, and they still can't, the administration still won't suspend this weapons shipment just as a sort of slap on the wrist for, for what they're doing. Why do you think that is? Like, why why that... Why that discrepancy? Why was Trump more effective? Why do you? Why are you supporting Trump? <laughs> yeah, this, this is a he, quite a heel turn. <laughs> kind, of, kind of sucks. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. This this former Saudi official um, knows a lot about MBS uh, and and kind of you know his 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 way of approaching these things. And he said to me that Trump just understood autocrats a lot better, and um, and also had a sort of better understanding of power and how to wield it. Um, so like he understood, you know, you make, uh, I'll give you an example. One time when he requested a change in the um, production quotas, he threatened to withdraw all U.S. forces from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia doesn't have a lot in the way of military uh, to defend itself from not just regional partners, but Iran, um, you know. And so when you make a threat like that, that's really cuts to the core of, of the system that they rely on, uh, not just for this nation state, but for the, uh, for the, for the government's power for the, because when you look at someone like MBS, he's not actually formally king yet. So he's in a sort of, you know, any sort of show of weakness will make other princes that may be vying for power, uh, you know, see an opportunity to come in and try to try to seize that power and push him push him out of the center stage. So, um, I, you know, I think this person's assessment was right. I think Trump understands how to wield power in a very naked way and, and sort of seize past some of these illusions about, um, uh, you know, like, oh, we need to engage in diplomacy and be polite with each other and all this kind of thing. And just realize like, nope, here's where, here's what they want. I'm going to take it from you if you don't give me what I want. And it was effective. That's what, that's why this, like the, the debate around Yemen and the Saudi arms sale is so like critical because Biden had, had claimed before that they were going to end it and everyone, you know, pretends to act like they're concerned about it because it is like a total human rights disaster. You know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of kids can die of starvation if this continues. Probably the biggest and human rights disaster in, in the, the world. world. The biggest right cholera yeah. outbreak in the, you know, in the modern era. Insane. Yeah. And they, the Saudi forces rely on U.S. support. And logistics, Biden, targeting intelligence. Yeah, Biden said, oh, well, we're not going to continue to arm them, but we're for offensive purposes. But like, they still, you know, they're now considering another arms deal still under that like defensive framework. But that, that's absolutely bullshit. Like we still provide technical and like aerial support. We still provide like mechanical support to the Saudi Air Force. It would like crumble without the U.S. support. It'd be over in like a day. Um, and that could be... Uh, a, a key leverage point, not just in the in the Yemen conflict, but also uh, in, in uh, helping like kind of smash up uh, Saudi's control over the oil supply, which is, you know, a, a, a driver of inflation. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to get at, is this is going to become a very acute um, matter for for the Democrats coming into election year 2022. I mean, there's studies, there's, I you know, political science and the reason people vote the way that they do is complicated. But I think there's a pretty strong case to be made for that. A lot of voting patterns just reflect consumer prices, oil prices, things like that. I mean, there's been studies suggesting that this has been central to election outcomes in the past. So even if you don't, I mean, my hope is that people care about the humanities. My hope is that people care about human rights. But even if they don't care about that, what I understand is why the sort of vote blue, no matter who crowd isn't upset about this, because this is absolutely going to have um, electoral consequences for their party. Yeah, um, people w can relate more to the price of everyday goods more than uh, a tax credit in April that they may or may not qualify for. And even if they do qualify for it, the rising price of goods could erase any like net gain in the end. If they're spending more on everything else, it would it it could be like a net negative in the long run. So uh, this would this could and should be a an opportunity for democrats to kill this arms deal 
use it as a leverage point over the Saudis, uh, actually treat them like the pariah Biden, the Biden campaign said they were going to, but uh, I, I don't really have hope. And also in terms of like the inflation stuff and that having an impact on like electoral results, even if that kind of stuff was going on, that could also be offset by passing a bold progressive economic agenda that helps a lot of people in a number of other ways. But when you're not even doing that at the same time, that's like also going to, going to impact that, right? Yeah, well, that sort of connects too, I think, to this uh, Saudi question, because as they debate, you know, how much of uh, social spending to put into the um, Build Back Better legislation, one of the boogeymen that this sort of um, corporate side of the debate has, has has put forth to try to scare everyone from, from doing anything too constructive in this bill um, has been the inflation rate and saying, oh, look, inflation is happening because businesses are anticipating the costs of this legislation <laughs> that doesn't even exist yet. Well, if you want to talk about inflation, again, there's a strong case to be made for that I mean, again, you know, economics is complicated. There are different factors, but a huge one is going to be the major uh, natural resource, uh, oil, in 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 determining what rate of inflation. And there's no discussion of any of it in the mainstream. You can find this in the business press. If you look at the economic press, like Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Bloomberg, they're all pretty candid about this stuff. But when you get to the political press, nobody's talking about it. And it's very frustrating because, again, yeah, we have this very uncommon opportunity to uh, sort of impose some kind of cost. Um, on that regime. And, and it doesn't seem like uh, the administration, certainly, or, or congressional Democrats are going to take it. And even outside of the whole concern about ec- the economics of it, it's like, this is a, this is a country, uh, this is an administration that's lecturing all kinds of other countries around the world about he- their human rights record. Um, that lecturing Cuba or, or lecturing China or whoever. But meanwhile, while they might make this kind of uh, play towards suggesting that they're going to take action against Saudi Arabia, one of the worst human rights abusers in the world, then that completely dries up. And they've been com- they've been 100% supportive of this conflict uh, in Yemen for years now, which has led to this absolute calamity. Uh, and they, as a result, they have zero credibility to lecture anybody. Um, but that doesn't stop them from doing it. Like they're literally lecturing and sanctioning, you know, Cuba for, I don't know, I guess these, these protests that happened that apparently were responded to with all kinds of terrible violence, which, you know, as we've talked about a couple of times, doesn't come close to matching some of the stuff that we've seen in terms of police violence in the streets of the United States every single day. You know, they're they're uh, talking to Iran about the Iran deal and suggesting that, oh, you know, maybe perhaps we could get back in that Iran deal if, if Iran, you know, if they do this and this and they meet these quotas and they do this, despite the fact that Iran has no possible reason for believing that the United States is ever going to uh, follow through on any kind of a deal like that. So it's just amazing the uh, the audacity I find of like lecturing anyone, whether it's Cuba, or Iran, or China, or anyone about human rights, while they're actively subsidizing this kind of like extreme misery and continuing to do so. I think you sort I think you're touching on why this stuff isn't discussed. I was I just mentioned a second ago how this stuff is sort of discussed in a very clear-eyed way by the financial press, which ordinary people don't have access to, um, but isn't by the sort of mainstream political press. And I think the reason is just because it's embarrassing. The relationship exposes as, you know, dishonest and, and fraudulent, you know, all this rhetoric about um, human rights when we're working with a regime that, uh, for example, beheads people for the crime of sorcery, for the crime of apostasy. Um, someone was just jailed for that recently for all. And so all this stuff Crucify is just people. Exactly. Like totally. quite literally. Yeah. And so uh, it's horrifying. I, I think that that kind of grim reality makes it so that Washington makes the calculation that it's like, well, even if you know, for example, their oil policy is, is hurting us, it's still worse to even talk about it because it's embarrassing. And that's exactly, you know, why Trump was hated so much, because he would um, very nakedly, uh, do you remember when he had that photo shoot with MBS, where he was just showing him all the weapons he was selling him and talking about all the <laughs> jobs he was going to make? And everybody was rightly horrified by that. But the reality is that's the system we have that yeah. exists. He was just sort of putting it out there in, in the open for everyone to see. You also see the the sort of priority from people who talk about human rights in Saudi Arabia, and they they focus strictly on the Khashoggi killing when it comes to MBS, while kind of hand waving away all these very serious human rights abuses and crimes. Um, when it comes to you know poor Yemenis that are kind of struggling against this like oppressive regime, but then of course when it comes to this like this journalist kind of runs in these elite circles, then it's this big crisis that you need to hold them accountable for while, you know, all the other things are just kind of completely normalized and just sort of part of how they do business. You know, you see that what the priorities are. Yeah. What happened to Khashoggi was terrible, but the unfortunate reality is that's within the, you know, um, range of, of, uh, 
misconduct of the government. I mean, they do, they treat dissidents horribly. Like, and unfortunately, we don't hear about what happens domestically, uh, you know, to people that, that don't have friendships with media in the, in the U.S. But, you know, sadly, that case is not um, exceptional. Uh, I'm excited for Trump to run again, aren't you guys? This is... He's going to fix the problems. But you know what it is? <laughs> our, the Demo- our democratic immune system has, has, has they have, we have the T cells now to be able to defeat him. And I think after four <laughs> year, five years of practice ah. of, of dealing with him, they're going to know, <laughs> they're going to know his weak spots. Yeah. I, I know the first, as soon as the, if he does run, if he if this, if this process does play with the way it kind of looks like it's going to, they're going to immediately go right to the, how dare you, sir? Look how uncouth he is in the, ex- the exact mm-hmm. same playbook. We're not Trump. Vote, vote blue because you know he's very mean and very rude, and that's gonna be that's gonna be their whole campaign. Unfortunately, I'm sure it's gonna. This time it will be better. I'm sure. The the immune system thing only works one way. Only the Democrats will have built up an immunity to him. It's not like Trump and the Republicans haven't uh, had the last. Will have had the last four years practicing how to rig an election at the state, uh, state and local level. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, You have two. You have two. plans emerging in the press and it's one explicit which is mcconnell saying they're not running on a legislative agenda in 2022 they're just going to run on the democrats can't do anything which they can't and because obviously the uh um the republicans aren't giving them any help in congress but the democrats like also have members of their own party who are standing in the way of the agenda so part of their message is going to be their failures they can't even do anything they can't govern what are they doing and then the other part is, like you just alluded to, they're going to question every unfavorable election result. They're going to challenge everything or flat out deny it. He already had that guy. I can't remember his name. He was in Illinois. And for the past two cycles, he's lost, but he still came to orientation. At what point does like McCarthy, if he's an, if he's speaker, just acknowledge him and not right. the Democrat? And I feel like the death of local media is really obscuring the fact that at the state and local level and all these things they are um they are planning how to how to try to manipulate the um either either make it so that the um elections authorities at the state level are are not nonpartisan anymore or try to make it so they can intimidate them more easily for example uh, creating criminal penalties for like the smallest infraction uh things that you know cumulatively can have the effect of um you know making people that are not conservatives not want to run because they don't want to deal with all that stuff. Uh, and 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 then just like a paramilitary component. I'll give you an example. I was working for a while in a story that never really came together, but the um, local representatives in um, in the Colorado uh, State House where they were working with some uh, former military colonel thinking that they're going to create some kind of election security teams that are like outside of the state government. And uh-huh. this is stuff that hasn't been reported anywhere. And I'm sure is happening at, in, in all sorts of other states and we we just don't really know what's gonna you know one could picture a lot of ugly things happening in 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 two years three years yeah well I mean there's a whole this this whole sort of segment of this kind of uh, uh, militia sympathizing um, libertarian leaning right wing groups I mean they've been prepped now for for a couple of years to uh, respond to these things like with threats and with violence um, of course no troubling parallels there at all historically. I don't know that march. What was it? The Patriot Front march that happened uh, the other day was that? Was that what it was called? The Patriot Front. Yeah, that was yesterday that? on the on the National Mall. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty disturbing imagery there. It just, I, you know, just really feels like there's. I, I mentioned this in the last episode we talked about Jordan. The everything is bad episode. Um, just feels like there's this really ugly reactionary backlash brewing. Which is like, and I've seen people talked about this before, like in previous times in the in the U.S. in U.S. history, when there's big, has been these kind of backlashes. It's been in response. It's been like in response to um, big positive kind of progressive social changes, like the civil rights movement, um, things like this. It leads to this backlash, and now it feels like there's this really ugly backlash brewing in response to like not really all that much. Like it hasn't actually been in response to this big. Uh, social change or material gain for for average people uh it just can't seems like it's just uh coming anyways and like we I, I don't know it's just strange because you see like as we were talking about before it seems like everyone in the democratic party has pretty much accepted that this is the the likely outcome um in the next couple of years and it's like it's pretty grim it's pretty grim stuff i mean i don't speculate get too apocalyptic but it's it's pretty disturbing uh, uh signs for what could possibly be coming uh, in the united states well, again, within the next couple of years, yeah, just to hear all these people that actually work for the party 
kind of resigned yeah. to this. Like usually, you know, it's not like people are certain that they're going to stay there, but it's kind of like, you know, maybe usually it'd be kind of like, you know, maybe we'll pull through and, and, and whatever the big piece of legislation is, maybe that'll, I thought maybe they'd be like, oh, you know, build back better. Maybe that'll be popular enough that'll, and, and just, I, I hardly hear any of that. I just hear resignation. Well, now they might not even be passing that. Like we were, we've been talking about how it's getting whittled down and everything. And will you know, will the progressive caucus blink or will they, will they, uh, you know, stand fast and, and not support it. But now it's just like, that's pretty much off the table. They got their big sort of bipartisan, uh, package. And now the idea that they might not even do anything at all is like becoming more and more realistic, which is like, which is pretty much the only possibility of them avoiding getting absolutely crushed. That was pretty much the one possibility for avoiding that kind of like electoral calamity was really delivering, delivering on the big promises that they made. And it just seems like it's a, there's a strong possibility that they won't get anything at all. It's just so puzzling about it is the extent to which it's in the interests of the, not just party general, but generally, <laughs> but the administration to uh, pass an ambitious uh, package. And it was, I just remember, I remember them asking some uh, press poll asking Ilan Omar about it. And she says, we're on the president's side. She had this wide grin as she said it, because what she was saying is true. It's just that their, you know, uh, ambitious policies are in the interests of, of the president's reelection. And it was a sort of unusual um, uh, confluence to see. But I was I was surprised that Biden didn't, you know, pursue it more aggressively with respect to, you know, using his bully pulpit to try to. Um, you know, like like I was saying before, wield power to try to you know uh, force Mansion's hand and Cinema's hand, which maybe he couldn't have. But you know what, what I always say about that is um, when Trump you could try, yeah. When Trump supporters <laughs> look at him, he didn't build a wall. I don't think they're particularly mad about it because it's not like he didn't go out kicking and screaming trying to do it. You know, or like they have the impression that he tried really hard to do it and he failed. And I feel like they probably still give him credit for that. And, and in that same vein, I would imagine that that Democrats would give Biden some credit if it looked like he was, you know, really doing everything he could to try to to try to um, bring these two senators to heel. And unfortunately, I don't think that's the impression that most people have. No, we talked about this before on, on this show. It's just stumping in their states and their districts um right, right is an effective tool and we saw mansion get furious when they tried that during the coronavirus relief negotiations uh when they sent kamala to west virginia and they just never did it again like, that reaction I mean, should show you it works just keep doing it piss even them bernie off wrote that even bernie wrote that op-ed in the west virginia newspaper oh, yeah, and all right. these liberals who apparently support <laughs> biden they're like how dare you <laughs> How yeah, dare it's out of that? out of state elite trying to tell people what's in West Virginia's best interest. You know what's in West Virginia's best interest? Investing in clean energy and a transition plan for people in there for so they can have jobs, uh, uh, more uh, uh, paid family leave, Medicare expansion. Those are all great things that would actually help the residents of West Virginia. Not maintaining the status quo. Uh, by the uh, <laughs> by, the multi-millionaire yacht dwelling, uh, Bentley driving or Maserati driving, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, whole family uh, tycoon. Yeah, you know, you have to level with the people of West Virginia who all have Maseratis and are zipping around in these things. Yeah, and and in private yachts, and so you know, you can't be some out of town guy from a wildly different state, uh, which is super wealthy, like for Vermont, and just come in there and tell people what to do. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, they, it really was like some kind of joke that people like us would make him drive it. The just the the tableau of images of Mansion in the boat and in the in the Maserati. Like, how do you even make that up? It's like a Disney movie. Yeah, it's it's just all of these things are right in front of us. That's the thing. Like all of these like pieces of evidence, these signs that these people don't care about us, don't care about uh, the working person in this country, don't care about inc income inequality don't care about the material issues impacting people across the country. And when you had like sunrise protesters and environmental activists blocking his car, you had a ton of liberals being like, she should have run him over. Like, oh, it, yeah. it just like, what do you want? Like what, what fucking, what, what kind of fucking world do you want? Because like, we're it's, running it's out of really time. Yeah. This still, even this bill at its best, is still insufficient to treat climate change. But it's a step. It's a small step in the right direction. And even then, when you have a guy who profits off of coal, something that exacerbates climate change, when he's mildly inconvenienced, you want people who do that to die. Like, what is wrong with you? I got that when I was criticizing Cuomo, which I was sort of surprised by. I didn't know that he was still a 
darling for the liberals still yeah i saw people defending chris cuomo today yeah, you did nothing like, wrong well, sir you defended your yeah. family this wasn't even gray area kind of shit like <laughs> they, dude yeah he was collecting intelligence and he used the word intelligence like he's on some mission for socom or something <laughs> like how do you defend that that's insane to me it wasn't like he made some off-color remark or something like oh my god i can't get over that. i was really surprised i would have i you know i'm i'm critical of liberals but i didn't think that 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 they would still be rooting for him. Well, it's just, it shows how much how superficial their their understanding of this kind of political sphere is, right? Because they'll they'll talk about Cuomo like, yeah, he might have he might have gotten a little handsy with some of his female uh, uh, you know coworkers or, or subordinates, but you know he kept he kept New York safe during this pandemic. He went on TV. It was very charming going on TV. The Cuomo brothers they had that, that great banter on CNN. And you look at the actual figures of people who have died. It's like the same amount of people who died like in Florida. Wasn't he covering, it's like, he was covering up the nursing deaths, right? Yeah, he was like literally covering up thousands of deaths in nursing homes that he he it like caused through his own inaction and and wrote that book about like his wonderful leadership at the same time. And like that's and and people like liberals that get their that take their cues from MSNBC and CNN all these liberal sort of uh mainstream media sources they still think that he did this like wonderful job and he's this great guy who's being sort of uh just undermined uh by these these nefarious uh women who are accusing them of all these kinds of things my favorite thing about that uh coronavirus leadership book that he released didn't he publish it in like march of last year like or like june like two months after the pandemic even started <laughs> well it was like after was the first really wave started to go down everyone was like okay well pandemic over we got it we got this we crushed it you're welcome you're welcome everybody that's great that's great leadership uh i remember the people calling for him to be president are so funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like they were just saying that even all the way how... through the primary like maybe we can still get cuomo in there once by yeah, here's was, how like, we here's how we do a bait and switch in the in the yeah. convention it's gonna be cuomo and uh, michael avenatti it's that's the that's michael. the ticket oh my <laughs> god <laughs> dude what Talk about a year in review, was like he... I, I don't even remember. Like that, that guy for like a, a brief, what like two, three month span was like the guy in terms of like the liberals that kind of he watched. He played this the kind same of kind of role. Where I think it was this sort of seedy like guy that everybody sort of knew was was untrustworthy, but it was kind of like, oh yeah, well it's our version of Trump. Yeah, he's our seedy, untrustworthy creep. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bizarre yeah, people. I, Very strange. The people that get propped up, and to go back to the Kamala and P conversation, like the people that get propped up or just reshuffled into different roles constantly is partially why we're in this situation where we can't get anything done. We don't have a deep bench. Uh, and, and on the progressive side, especially, like who do we look forward to? Who do we root for? I mean, maybe. You get a Nina Turner candidacy, but that's a total long shot. I love her, but, like, it's a total long shot. I don't know if AOC would even want to run because, like, people are psychotic. Um, uh, Jayapal can't. Omar can't. I think Tlaib can. Um, but, like, who do we really have on the progressive side? It's just, it's really, really shallow and the Democrats are just kind of reshuffling around. But one story I, I I saw like a week or two ago that people were considering nominating Kamala Harris to the Supreme Court. Oh yeah, I saw that. Which I thought was go. just so fucking funny. Like, yes, okay, <laughs> let's sure, go. let's let's do it. Is that in in a hypothetical situation that Breyer actually retired from the Supreme Court, which doesn't even look like it's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Because they're it's not like they don't they're not willing to pack the court. I'm, I'm willing to you know concede that it's like yeah he's got a senate of 50 there's limited things you can do but and 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 you know recognize that trump had more to work with but when you compare again like uh, what biden tries to do to, to to squeeze the votes out of out of what he has uh, the same is the case in this in the in the supreme court i mean these guys aren't bowing out after you know saying everything that they did about um you know the threat posed by the new you know maga republican party and and trump had people bow out of the supreme court to have appointments so it just doesn't feel like there's any kind of um uh how do you say like equivalency between the the uh urgency that the two respective parties are, are coming to these things with yeah um that's the thing it's like frankly i'm like i'm getting kind of tired even of the precinct premise of like talking about like, what's wrong with the democrats like what are the democrats doing <laughs> it's like i was kind of like 
I was kind of just, I've, I've mentioned this a couple times. Like I'm starting to feel like it's annoying to even talk about it because I keep saying the same things, but it's like, I was just curious as to see whether, because we know that they don't want to do these big, bold things, but just uh, like you mentioned before, Ken, like even out of their own sense of like cynical self-preservation, right. will they just do a few things to maybe like not lose? And it's like, it's just systematically, I was, I was allowing myself to believe that maybe perhaps they might do a few things. And it's just been this year long process of these like incredibly low expectations then them just like limboing under and just like <laughs> doing even less or being even worse than I imagined. Um, like I talked about, you know, I talked about the foreign policy stuff as well, Cuba and Iran, which are two, uh, two, two areas where Obama's foreign policy, which was overall disastrous, were, were good. Those were two things like maybe Biden will get back into that Iran deal or maybe he'll renormalize relations with Cuba. No. Um, you know, they complained endlessly about the kids in cages and the, the, the brutal, you know, bar barbaric immigration system. Maybe that'll be improved slightly. Oh, no, he's actually deported more people. He's deporting all the like, Haitians, for example, in record numbers back to this back to Haiti as it's being racked with political instability and violence um, and the coronavirus pandemic, which is also directly related to their own activity. It's just like even <laughs> on basically every level, they've just like completely uh not even really attempted to try and do anything better than than uh what what was happening previously and then they, you know if they do lose in in 2022 and 2024 you can bet they're going to be looking around going what happened it must have been Susan Sarandon's fault it must have been these the left the left somehow we went too far we just went too much we were too ambitious uh and it's just like <laughs> after a certain point you just kind of kind of like give up on the idea that they have the any, like any similar uh, priorities or goals or any of that stuff I love the Susan Sarandon thing because that's yeah, like great. That's yeah. like the Old Testament where it's like all sin goes back to Cain and Abel. It's like from 10 million years. <laughs> like, how do they even remember that? I saw that and yeah. I almost felt nostalgic. It was like, oh, yeah, I remember 2016. <laughs> yeah, dude. There's going to be shuffling around in like like uh, eco fascist labor camps in the 2030s just being like that goddamn Susan Sarandon in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, one vote. This? One vote in California really did it. Oh, she oh she thought a Trump uh, pres a Hillary presidency would be even more dangerous than Trump. So I bet she feels pretty silly now, doesn't she? As you're like breaking rocks in some fucking ravine somewhere, <laughs> to build a new pool for like Ron DeSantis's failed children or something. Oh. Working in the uranium mines. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was supposed to be a year in review. <laughs> like, I think that's what it was. I, I guess in a, in a way we are. But Ken, what were some of your uh, lowlights of the year? I would say moving sucked. Moving to D.C. from Madison. That was a pain in the ass. Um, okay, but you're here now. You're here in the glittering city in of Washington, D.C. Not, yeah. Not, not getting the respect due to me from Ryan Grimm, Taskmaster <laughs> Ryan Grimm. You're talking about oh, DeSantis. Yeah? Want... I think I might be the one breaking rocks for Ryan Grimm's poll. <laughs> Do you want us to say something to him? <laughs> yeah, say say right now. Ryan, what the fuck, man? <laughs> sir. Sir, with all due respect, respect no sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like Ryan on Rising because he's, like, so deadpan, like, all the time. Uh, he's just, like, he's just matter-of-fact. Here's what's happening. My favorite, actually, my favorite Ryan Grimm Rising moment was when that woman tried to say the U.S. Uh, ended the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just, like... He just goes through the history. Recoiled at the yeah. idea that the Soviet Union might have played a part. <laughs> that was amazing to just see someone have their whole understanding of modern history just rewritten <laughs> in, in real time. That was fun. His voice He's is like so deep. Whenever he, whenever I watch those segments, I'm like, damn, I have to go into the sound settings or something to change the gain. Or where, I don't know. I don't know anything about sound, but I can't hear what the hell he's saying. And change, shift the pitch. There we go. Is he a good boss? Do you want us, do you want us to say something or what? <laughs> I am totally loyal to Ryan Grimm, and he is the ideal boss. <laughs> okay. Hold up today's newspaper, please, Ken. <laughs> uh, are you... Blink twice if you're under duress. Okay, I think um, I heard him blink. Yeah. Are, are there any, like, specific, like, news stories that we haven't gone over? Because, like, I think uh, what I wanted to touch on was just the general sense of, like, disappointment and disillusionment that uh, that has, uh, you know, become pervasive. Oh, here's one. Throughout the year, just, as, as, as all the possible good things kind of evaporated yeah. that could have possibly happened in, in America. I just had one about Border Patrol. It was kind of interesting. There was a Border Patrol agent in um, what's called the... Uh, Gosh, what's it called? The Rio Grande Valley sector. They, they break it down into sectors. And um, this agent sent like a reply all to all the other agents in that sector where he was like decrying the COVID vaccine or the vaccine mandate that uh, President Biden put into place 
that and Border Patrol has one of the lowest rates of vaccination of any of the uh, federal law enforcement agencies. Law enforcement generally tends to have uh, much lower um, rates than 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 government generally. Um, so you know, it was kind of interesting to see what the reaction to this. And he was extremely angry. He was saying things like, "You said you know stop the spread. Well, how about we stop the spread of illegal immigrants?" And it was like super you know, over the top and, and kind of surprising that he would send it to everyone in it. It, it bespeaks a attitude that, that, um, you know, folks in Border Patrol have about what they'll be able to get away with because they have a very strong union. Um, but what was interesting about it was that amid all of this sort of chest thumping and anger about it, he ultimately said, but in the end, I'm going to get the vaccine because I need my job. And I was so amazed by that because it's like, if even this guy who's like angry enough to reply all and, and send this tirade out to everybody is going to at the end of the day just you know bite the bullet and get the vaccine i i have to assume that that would be the case with a lot of other people and I actually found evidence for that that was the case so um what i found suggested that vaccination rates within border patrol had increased by at least 10 percent within just um days of the uh mandate uh, taking effect so um I, I think that's pretty good evidence for its efficacy at least um i mean in in border patrol but again law enforcement they tend to be the worst of, of um, government employees going off the data. Well, and I know there's a lot of talk too about like police officers and how they're responding to the the mandates. You've had like you know police unions in like places like Chicago, and New York City, kind of very very openly talking about how they're going to defy these mandates or or you know uh, possibly just leave or leave their jobs or deal with any consequences that come along with, uh, with, yeah, with I, that. And I know there have been a few cases of that, but on like overall, that hasn't really been yeah, as much of a trend. That was another thing. You talked about yeah, it Yeah, so lot, folks, right? in, folks in um, Congress, Republicans in Congress, and, and these rank-and-file agents themselves, they had all been threatening. They were going to say, you're going to have an exodus, the likes of which you've never seen, and then the whole border will just be open and anyone can cross. That didn't happen. I went around. The data that I've seen doesn't suggest that that's happened in any way. I've talked to people. They described a couple of people retiring, but these were people that were old enough to retire anyways, and it was like they were not going to be there much longer um, regardless, but that just doesn't seem to be the case, at least the Border Patrol. So I don't know, that's what's kind of interesting about the story. It showed that a lot of that, um, I'll give you an example. In the email, he said, I thought it was I thought it was all a bluff, but in the end, it looks like they're actually going to fire us. And then he said he was going to get the vaccine. So I don't oh, know, I feel like that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, fine. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have sympathy for people who are still resisting this kind of stuff. Like, I don't, I just, I just don't, I don't have any like I, I, even the tiniest amount of emotion uh, for any of these people. It's just it's it's infuriating because we could be so much closer to normal than where we are globally. Because you're seeing this backlash all over Europe too to lockdowns and and vaccination uh, mandates and or, or even just like suggestions. People are flipping out. And it's spreading again, and like the rate of spread is like similar to where it was in the holidays last year. And now we have new variants emerging. So like the way to the way to solve this is to everyone to get fucking vaccinated and to break free any uh, intellectual property uh, protections over the vaccine, like uh, composition, makeup, like whatever. Which to allow about it a year to be review, Biden said spe- specifically yeah. like a year ago that he would do that and <laughs> yeah, has not right. done it. That's right. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, man. I'm fucking tired of it. So many people are tired of it. And it's because that the, these selfish fucking pricks are on their high horse and think that it's like it infringes on their liberty or whatever. Uh, I don't care. I just, I don't care. And that, like, implement it, whatever. Because, like, this this is killing people. People are getting sick. You're still spreading it. And you're putting, like, frontline workers and you're putting people who, who don't have the luxury to work remote uh, in harm's way. It's so fucking selfish. Well, that's a big part of the reason I was um, heartened that the mandate seem, seems to have had a significant effect or did have a significant effect because they come into contact with tons of, you know, vulnerable populations. And even in the email that that was given to me, um, he describes coming in contact with all of these uh, kids that could potentially get sick and, um, you know, people in conditions that are already, you know, I, I would think conducive to to, to sickness and, and kind of the worst case of the virus because, you know, they don't have access to sorts of food and water and uh, security that people take for granted. So I think it could end up helping. Well, in these overflowing migrant detention centers as well. Which he no mentioned space. in the email. He, yeah. he described the squalid conditions. And I'm thinking, wait, so what, that tells you that you don't need to get the vaccine. But in any case, yeah, the, it, it was kind of an interesting it was just very candid in, in how he described everything. Um, you know, one thing about this year that um, 
I actually think is kind of positive. I think if you just focus on what's happening in America or like whether the Democrats are actually doing something good for once in their fucking lives, like it's like you can if you can talk about that endlessly and just it's always the source of depression and misery. Um, one thing that I've been I've been kind of focusing on a lot that I think is a is a positive trend is um, this kind of wave of uh, electoral results in Central and South America. Uh, in countries that have been destabilized on the part of the U.S. US government. And that is one thing that I think is kind of exciting, is that a lot of these countries, after years of kind of being U.S. client states, like at at gunpoint, basically, places like uh, Honduras, uh, you know, uh, there's the the election in Bolivia, in uh, in Nicaragua, and all these places. And there does seem to be this trend happening now in Central and South America of this kind of new pink tide that is happening where a lot of these countries are sort of re-embracing this idea of socialism that restores uh, rights to uh, working class people and indigenous people. That, I think, is something that I think has been kind of positive. Like, I know you had a couple stories about talking about the Honduras election recently. That was the site of a, of a coup in 2009. And their their government, their like socialist government, is kind of finally back in power after 12 years of being this kind of U.S. client state and all the destabilization and turmoil that comes as a result of that. Yeah, in the um, case of yeah, these things are intimately connected and people don't understand that. Like, if you want to get mad about undocumented immigration um, you know, I, I would, and, and you want to try to stop it, I would think a constructive way to, would be to understand why it's happening. And if you look at Honduras, this is like a case study. So, um, you know, they elect a, uh, a social democrat, um, Manuel Zelaya, in um, I think 2008 or 2009, he's uh, pushed out in a military coup. Obama does it clearly doesn't like it. Kind of does some hemming and hawing and criticism of it, but ultimately um, doesn't do much to um, you know bring the force of the U.S. to bear to reinstate him, which would be pretty easy because our power is so overwhelming in a region like. And so there was kind of uh, the, the the memoir since then and, and writing since then suggests that there was some tension between him and the um, the uh, Clinton State Department about how to handle it. They ended up kind of washing their hands of it and then Zelaya's out of power until, you know, just now, this month, um, I think this month or maybe late last month, um, Zelaya's wife um, wins office and she's back in office and uh, the kinds of uh, policies that they oversaw were the kinds that would get people to stay in the country because the country would be livable. Once once the military um, coup happened, uh, it became the homicide capital of the um, hemisphere back in 2010 or so, um, you know, um, hunger and food insecurity shot up. Basically, all the social indices um, that you would associate with making a place livable became, you know, really, really bad. And so, um, yeah, they have an opportunity now, um, you know, not just another progressive figure, but literally the the, the wife of the of the previous um, person that that oversaw a lot of improvement in this in the in the span of time that we, he was in office, um, come back to power. And, you know, similar case with Morales and the indigenous movement that he represents. And, you know, a lot of, you know, foreign pressure to try to keep him from coming to power and it didn't succeed so yeah i think that is a cause for cause for some hope yeah yeah i think that's that's something that is encouraging um just the you know the u.s just does seem to be sort of losing its grip on this uh, on controlling the the you know the political realities and the, the economic realities of a lot of these countries that is one kind of thing that's kind of interesting i think about this current historical moment we can talk about how america is kind of circling the train in a number of ways but um and by the way as as you know it's like this is not coming from a place of end but good thing canada is better because as we all know canada is basically like a client state also of the united states um we're kind of the junior partners in imperialism so when i when i cheer on uh, you know the united states uh, failing in these respects i'm also cheering on canada also failing and that's kind of one thing that's that's a little bit interesting is this kind of new multipolar world that's kind of emerging uh, in this new uh, in this new decade? Obviously, it's leading to a lot of uh, conflict, as we're seeing increasing conflict and tension. But uh, overall, I think it's kind of it, it's providing a, a different sort of outlet for people in Central and South America, for people in Africa, um, to not just have to rely on the U.S. For this kind of development process or to be able to be maybe a bit more free to make democratic decisions about what they want to do with their uh, resources or these things without having to 
worry as much of about being like overthrown and and uh, cooed and you know have military dictatorships installed which has been the u.s playbook now for uh, many many years it's a shifting sort of geopolitical reality uh it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect or there's no going to be no any more conflict or, or or bad things going on but um i i am kind of interested in how this new sort of reality is going to shake out uh, because I, you know, I think that this evidence speaks for itself that the last couple of decades of the U.S. being the sort of sole uh, economic superpower, um, while maybe that's been great for the, you know, elites in the United States and the defense contractors and all these people, the oil companies and 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 what have you, uh, it's been overall a disaster for the, you know, the uh, a lot of uh, you know poor and working class and indigenous people throughout the developing world. So that's one thing that I'm actually quite encouraged by. Uh, over the last, that, and we've seen a couple of examples of this over the last couple of, of months. So it's not all bad. There's some okay stuff going on. Yeah, I think a lot of the catastrophe that's taking place is sort of, um, to some extent, shuffling the deck. Like if you look at um, the uh, the supply chain disasters that we've had, um, that if, you know, the potential for which has always existed, but um, COVID really exposed, and um, the concomitant rise of China, um, this is causing the Biden administration put out an I think it was an economic national security assessment um, recently that uh, basically made the case. It was very unusual. It's a little notice. I should do a story on this. Um, described um, how, you know, repatriating production here and uh, back from China, even though China produces things more cheaply for corporations, uh, is something that they favor, not because they want to help labor. I, I mean, they don't say this explicitly, but you can kind of read the subtext, but because that would enhance our national security since um, we actually control would have some control of things in 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 disaster in emergency kind of situations like we find ourselves now like when you know we don't have any of the PPE that we need the the, the masks and gloves and things like that um, there's a there's a purely national security sort of geo strategic case to be made for repatriating production which would be a huge boon to organize labor here in the country. And, and, and that debate is just starting to open up after, you know, 40 years of, of offshoring and neoliberalism. So yeah, I think there are some yeah. new possibilities. Perhaps it wasn't the best idea to offshore our entire manufacturing industry <laughs> to these, uh, to China and these developing countries in hindsight. It was great for the bottom line of like the Walton family for many years, but perhaps maybe some some of those decisions were not, uh, you know, treated with the seriousness that they should have been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Who it knows? seems obvious, but you know, these elites that can um, live in their sort of very abstract worlds of chat, charts and graphs and not realize what stuff means until shit hits the fan and then you have a disaster, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, that's a problem when you, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a kind of an issue that's baked into uh, the capitalist system, right? Is they're thinking constantly quarter by quarter um, and they've not had kind of a long-term strategy in play, economic strategy in place. It's always been about, you know, this exponential growth quarter by quarter and they've sacrificed a lot of their future potential um, because they don't really think along those lines. And, and you know, for whatever you think of China, they have been thinking along those lines about what's going to be happening in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, and you see that now paying dividends for them. And that's, uh, you know, that's the source of what I think a lot of this conflict and tension is coming from as like American elites are waking up to the the fact that they've kind of been, uh, you know, out, outplayed at the game that they kind of control the rules of. Um, that's a lot, that's a lot of, you know, the explanation for why we're getting this kind of early stages of new cold war right now is because they're realizing the extent to which they've kind of blown it. Yeah. And amid all of this, um, sort of unease, uh, you know, there is, there is this new nascent labor movement, you know, we, we, we have this huge, you know, unprecedented, at least in, in the last couple of decades, last several decades, number of strikes that can all mean something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something we talked about on the the last episode I did with Jordan, just the idea that like maybe maybe Joe Biden's build back gen better agenda or framework or whatever it is is going to get completely stalled out. Maybe they'll pass nothing, but like there and maybe there is some like a hardline reactionary movement on the way in terms of the United States government. But you know that is the that has uh, been the method for working people to like advance um, their material gains for the last uh, many decades, right? It's not through. Uh, not through voting for the right guys that, that implement the right policies, but by taking these actions, you know, in, in unions with strikes and things like this, that has been what has delivered most um, most serious material gain advances for working people in the United States and elsewhere for decades. And that's not going to the possibility of that's not going to go any, away anywhere, even if there's, you know, hard right wing reactionaries at the helm of the United States government. In fact, it might even it could even you know, increase that climate if, if that's the, if that is the case and make yeah. it more, more of a possibility. Oh, come on, Ken. <laughs> no, oh, it's, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm sending her this. 
I'm sending her the psychic signal. Oh, she yeah. Can't help herself. yeah. She's she got was, a lot very, to she say. She was very good. She was very good throughout this whole episode. <laughs> yeah, this is her saying, all right, it's been an hour, dude. <laughs> let's keep it. Yeah. Let's, let's get Come things moving her. That's our, that's our, that's our signal. <laughs> um, Ken, what are you most looking forward to next year? <laughs> um, God, you know, I was going to say <laughs> that like, much, thing, huh? Things, things opening, <laughs> things opening up again. If, if that happens next year <laughs> with Omicron and everything, maybe that won't, <laughs> but that was what I was okay. looking forward to. <clears throat> okay. Okay. It's Rob, funny because like, we talk about we talk about like possible things opening again, but I'm looking actually like on another screen of an NBA basketball game right now, with just a full arena full of people. <laughs> it's like I think that's one thing that's been weird about the last like year or two is realizing that there's other people that are just living through a completely different experience of this whole pandemic thing. And there's <laughs> yeah, there's totally. many people we talk about the the pandemic being over. There's millions of people across the America across America that are like, oh yeah, it is over. It was over like last year or sometime. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Rob, what about you? Oh gosh, I I don't know. Like politically, I don't I don't feel very good about anything going on uh, in the West. Certainly not Canada either. Um, you know, it, it, we've gone over the many we've gone, <laughs> we've spent now hundreds of hours in the show talking about the ways that everything's very grim and bad. So I'm just looking forward to I guess just continuing to to turn out content in the content mines. My humble working class uh, roots. I'm gonna be keeping at that. And I guess that's the only thing that's keeping me really sane is to be able to, to talk about this stuff with you guys, talk about it on Twitch. It's, it's, it, it allows me to keep everything at this kind of like a, a distance through by, by attacking by talking about everything through this kind of like lens of, of commodifying it and turning it into to content for everybody. It's the only, that's the only thing I'm holding on to. <laughs> yeah. It's what, what keeps, keeps Rob going. It's the fuel yeah. that drives him. Yeah, just making sure everyone's getting the, the content that they need. Right. You got anything, Jordan, you're hopeful about? That I make it back alive? Uh, I don't know. But yeah, by the time this comes out, I'll have been in Europe for a couple weeks. You're going to be chilling at the foot of the Matterhorn. Oh, pro- yeah, this comes out in, if this comes out around Christmas, I'll be in the, in the Alps. Uh, so just uh, if I decide to come back... Make it back alive. <laughs> I, I'm really worried about Italy because everyone's like scaremongering me. It's like, watch out for pickpockets. And I like <laughs> at first I was like, all right, that's whatever. That, how, who's gonna pick my pocket? And then I like Googled it, and it's like Rome pickpocket, and it's like beware, they operate in teams, and these are their ploys. And I was like reading it, and they like, like, dude, it's like a sophisticated dude. operation there. It's like usually they operate in like teams of like three to five. And they've got all these different tactics. And then I like I was like kind of shocked. Like, oh wow, this actually does seem like a pretty like big issue. Um and you can become I, a wallet chain guy. Are these twenty twenty two? That can be your new thing. Are these like modern day street merchants? Yeah. Well, no, it's like and I I I Googled or I, I searched on YouTube like Rome pickpocket uh videos and like someone did like a play-by-play of them getting pickpocket or like someone trying to and it was like they like identified all these people so it was like this woman who had like a realistic looking fake baby and then her like uh her her partner they it was everyone was getting onto like the subway and they stood like next to each other and kind of like obstructed obstructed your path to get on and like as you would walk by she would like one of them would like reach into your pocket and then like they had like a lookout in the back of the crowd trying to get on the train and they had another accomplice to kind of like i don't know kind of push you like on so you couldn't get away it was like really weird um but uh not so much wallet but i did get like a crossbody like bag that uh that i'll carry on front of me uh, and since it's winter underneath my coat as well so that should be that should yeah, suffice, what could, but we'll see. Yeah, what are their what are the countermeasures are you gonna deploy? I'm ready to fight. I'm gonna fight somebody <laughs> yeah. in Italy. Dude, they're gonna have it's gonna be like a six year old. What do you do then? Yeah. You get He's getting drop kicked. <laughs> <laughs> you wanna get you wanna get drop kicked into the Trevi Fountain, you little bitch? <laughs> that's the attitude. That's, 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 international. Like that's American, American excellence. <laughs> No, I don't know, dude. Like, I just, I just be alert and like keep everything in my bag under my coat. I should be good. But like, I was like, I, I rolled my eyes at first, and then I did some googling, and it's like, oh yeah, people like pickpocket all the time, and like they always try to create diversions to draw your attention elsewhere while their accomplice is behind you, like mm. reaching in your bag or in your pocket. It's never just one, which I thought was fascinating. The trick is to just be on your smartphone, just be on Twitter, so you can't be distracted by something. That's right. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> You're two steps ahead at all yep. times. Dude, if they take my phone, I'm I'm going to flip. That would be the worst, I think. Take If you want to take like 20 euro, all right, whatever. If you take my phone, it, it is going it's down. Right. I'm following you. I'm following you all the way home. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thanks a lot, Ken, for joining us uh, for the, I guess it was kind of a year in review. I don't know. It sort of was. Um, it was great to talk to you again, though. Always a pleasure. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find your your work and everything? They all know, but just tell them anyway. Yeah, they already know. So we can get out of here. <laughs> I'm uh, at Ken Clippenstein on Twitter, and then just go to the Intercept, uh, type in my name, and you can find my stories. There we go. That's where all the scoops are going to be. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show this year. We'll be back in 2022 with brand new, all the content you can shake a stick at. <laughs> That's the new slogan I've been workshopping. <laughs> really? For the show. Yeah. You, you like right. that? I was just I was deploying it for the first time to get the natural reaction. I took out a bunch of petty cash from the from the the show treasury to workshop that with a very serious like marketing team. So nice. <laughs> All the content you can shake a stick at. Is I get that right? <laughs> just That's rolls right. off the tongue. Yeah. Okay. I like Easy. it. Okay. Good. Great. And I'm sure everyone does as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. Happy New Year, and we'll we'll catch you in 2022. Take care. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.